Welcome to the school of the Holy Spirit. We shine the light of Jesus over you. We sprinkle his blood on you and wash you with the water of his word. Lord, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Holy Spirit, send forth your flames of fire, ministering spirits, your angels, to minister to all the listeners. May the eyes of your understanding be enlightened so that you may know the limitless love of the Father in Christ Jesus for you. It's good to be with you, Terry. Taking a long time to get to get here, hasn't it? <clears throat> but um, I uh, I looked at your title and I went, well, I guess we could go there, or we could go anywhere. Um, you know, let me let me just give you a tiny bit more history so you kind of understand my my thinking and uh, part of my whole reason I even talk about um, people calling me Danny uh, versus apostle, prophet, whatever. I, I tell people I am the sixth member of the fivefold ministry. Um, you have apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and then you have available. And pretty much that's been my my forte for many years, ever since I was um, in California in the uh, early 80s and uh, was a part of um, the vineyard in both Yorba Linda and then when it moved to Anaheim, I was there. And uh, my life was completely wrecked at that at that time. Um, the first person I ever met who was at the vineyard at that point in time was uh, Lonnie Frisbee. He actually preached the first message I ever heard at the vineyard and the Holy Spirit came in great power. And um, but that's all history. It's 40 years ago now. And um we are looking at today. We're not looking at 40 years. And I've been very grateful that the Lord has allowed me to be a part of this era of the church, because honestly, I, I can't think of a better era to be a part of. I believe God is bringing everything to a culmination, to a climax um, throughout the earth. Uh, literally, revival is breaking out throughout the earth. I believe that the prophetic word that Bob had, Bob Jones had, about the one billion youth harvest um, is uh, well on the way. Um, but I also believe that there's more than a billion. I believe that there's people who are not the youth harvest that are going to be saved during this time as well. And um, I'm very excited about that. Um, you know, I think the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the whole title thing. Uh, just because I kind of began there and because Terry did. And uh, we're going to, uh, if you have a Bible or you, I, I can read it for you, but most of us know this passage. If you're in here, I imagine you do. Uh, in Philippians chapter four, uh, it talks about the, the, uh, the fact that God gave gifts and he gave them, in, interestingly enough, even to the rebellious. Um, but he talks about in um, I'm sorry, Ephesians, not Philippians, Ephesians 4. Um, I was off one book, um, and that's not normal for me right there, but um, here we go. So in Ephesians 4, it speaks about the fact that God gives all these gifts, but also 
in verse 11, and this is where most people have centered their whole uh, maturity, if you will, of um, what God is looking for. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service so that the body of Christ can be built up until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Uh, very interesting passage. In, you know, a number of years ago, the Lord began speaking to me specifically about this. And he said, um, Danny, these are gifts. He said, you have seen um, mature and immature prophets. You have seen mature and immature apostles. You have seen mature and immature pastors and teachers and evangelists. You've seen those who are immature. They're people that you would never go to for counsel or for wisdom. Uh, they may carry incredible anointing on their life, but it doesn't mean that they've grown up. And, and uh, as he spoke to me, he said, Danny, he said, I really am looking for fathers. Uh, I'm looking for uh, that's and that's where he speaks of it in Timothy and in Peter. We we learn that something about the fathers in First John. We learn, you know, the, that this blessed are you children because your sins have been forgiven. That's reality. They realize oh, my sins are forgiven, and you may still function in any of those gifts. You may actually have a very accurate prophetic word. You may actually have a a, a very um, um, giftedness in regards to evangelism during those days uh, when you just got saved. But then it says, I write to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. And that really goes much more into the reality that you are, you're a warrior now. You're be, you become someone who is, who is matured enough that you know the schemes of the devil, you know how he fights you. And as a result, you, you have the ability to war with him and overcome but then it says, I write to you, old men, because you have known him who has been from the beginning. And, and the place of greatest, um, how can I put it, importance, if you will. Not that one person is more important than other. That doesn't, that doesn't work. But the place the designation of, be, of being a father. That's why, that's why Paul encourages that. He encourages, uh, if you want to become uh, a, an elder, if you want to become an elder, it's a good thing. But you have to understand there's some qualifications that have to be there. Why? Because you're not just measuring things out under the anointing. It's that your life has been so immersed in the anointing that wisdom has begun to bear fruit in your life and you can help people in their marriages, uh, in their decisions, uh, in incredible ways with great wisdom. And, um, and so I want to just kind of set that parameter so that you understand I, I'm not belittling any of the gifts. I don't belittle tongues. I actually, tongues cost me uh, more than any other gift in, in the world. It was a horrible thing because I, I went through um, a loss of a, a lot of people. And for even a short time, I, uh, some of my family was really upset with me. So um, it cost me, but I value it. 
so much. I just value what, what God is giving in, um, in that whole arena of the gifts. And I just picked on one. Obviously, there's nine of them. Uh, but there's nine and then there's, there are five. But they are just gifts. You can't earn them. You can't make them happen. It's something that flows naturally out of you. It's who God has made you to be. And so as a result, you function through those things just as tongues comes naturally through us. When we, when we flow in that, just as, as those who function in the prophetic, it just flows naturally. Uh, there's no contriving. I've, I've seen a lot of the, the prophetic training uh, these days. And, and we've done I've done prophetic training since about 1991, um, and uh, which is a long time. But in that, the prophetic training we did was truly prophetic. It wasn't uh, just words of encouragement. And words of encouragement are wonderful. We'll take all the words of encouragement we can get. But uh, a prophetic word is is far different. It, it, it holds in it. Uh, the reality that there's something very supernatural that has happened. When we began the whole prophetic journey for me training people, there were five individuals who were seemingly prophetic in the, in the church I was pastoring at the time. Um, I had gone through some encounters with uh, Bob Jones and Paul Kane and John Paul Jackson by this time. And um, uh, it was an incredible release that would happen. And it's very interesting when prophetic people are around how the prophetic will be stirred in prophetic people. Um, and uh, I've, I've learned that those who are afraid of going to gatherings with prophetic people are not prophetic. And they're scared of being um, looked at and, and called out. It's really kind of funny. But um, but I immersed myself in all of that. I wanted to learn. Um, I knew I was prophetic. I knew there were things that, that had happened to me uh, since I was a kid. Um, at five years old, I told my uh, my parents, they were going to have a baby girl the next year. And uh, indeed, they did. Now, I didn't understand it in those days uh, like I do now. But I mean, pictures where people were, uh, what they were doing and what they needed to do. And, and uh, those became a, a part of the foundation of what was there. And so I remember one Sunday in particular, uh, this would have been in about 1991, about that time, um, I, I said to the five prophetic people I was working with, I said, hey, um, I, I'm dealing with something and I need an answer. I told them nothing. And they said, that's all we get. I said, that's it. And um, that afternoon, uh, one of them, her name's Dee, uh, she called me. She said, yeah, you received um, a brown paper package in the mail. It was addressed from your sister-in-law, um, and she was sending it to your eldest daughter. And um, it, it had some kind of a toy in it um, that was black and gold. And uh, yes, your sister-in-law is still involved in the occult. And yes, you do need to destroy it. And... Um, which was exactly what I needed because we had received literally a package for my eldest uh, daughter uh, from her aunt, um, basically uh, that showed uh, that it was wrapped in brown paper package. It was um, 
it had something black and gold. It actually had a gold dress with a with a, with a gold sash. And um, but we, when we got it, we went. Well, this seems pretty benign. We don't really need this. Um, and and so we decided. Well, let's just find out if we if we need to keep this, um, you know, because it's okay. But everything previously had come from her aunt was not from the Lord. And so as a result, um, we learned, no, you can't keep this. This was dedicated to the enemy and it's intended to produce something in, uh, Jenny's life. So we destroyed it. That was how we began. Uh, I believe in what's called the, um, the Daniel uh, 222 company. And um, that's what I believe in for the prophetic. And that is not where you interpret dreams that are told to you, but where you actually tell the people the dream they're having and interpret it to them. That's prophetic. Um, it's, it's, and, and so we have really watered down what the prophetic is. And it's, uh, for me, a real problem in the body of Christ because everybody's prophesying encouragement. Um, there are things in the prophetic you learn, you grow. Uh, the prophetic also is a, it's an opportunity for people to step into. They may not step into it. Um, they may decide they don't want to. Rebellion is still a part of the free will of man. And, and so as a result, uh, there are prophetic words of God's intent and what God wants to do. Um, but then there are the words that are, words that are not about a person's decision. They are just simply, this is what the Lord's saying. This is what will happen and it will happen. Um, so I've watched that for a long time and I have learned that in the prophetic, um, usually in immaturity, people want to give words to people. I've learned that I don't necessarily want to give words to people, but I'm responsible to give words to people. Uh, based upon Ezekiel, if I don't warn somebody, if I don't speak to them, if I don't encourage them, you know, in, in what God has called me to do with them, um, God will hold that, um, and their blood, if they're, if they're in sin, he will hold that against me. Um, in Ezekiel, it speaks of that twice. And we see that there's a, a role that we play, that we are watchmen. Uh, we must deliver. And it doesn't matter who he tells us to deliver to. I remember one meeting uh, was with uh, probably about 70 pastors. And we were sitting in this room. And at the end of the meeting, the Lord began speaking and giving prophetic words to people. And, and then um, he showed me this one man. Well, I didn't like that man. I'm just being really honest with you, but I didn't like him. I didn't, I, I'd heard he was pretty harsh with people. Um, there were things that I just didn't like about his character. And, uh, he wasn't one that I would have picked. Uh, and the Lord said, um, Danny, you got to give him this word. And the word was all encouragement. It was, it was a crazy, profound, effective, um, spot on word for the man. He needed it, but I didn't want to give it. But I do not get to decide who to give a word to or who not. I can only do what my father is doing. And if my father is doing that, then I'll be wrong. Uh, what's it say? Um, let every man be a curse. Um, but God's no liar. 
God's no liar. Um, we are we are the ones who who carry uh, the mismanagement of so much that God gives us. And I've been in gatherings where people are requesting money for prophetic words. I think that's prophetic vulgarity. Um, because what happens is that when God is speaking for another man, you basically are making him pay for somebody to give you a word. That doesn't, does not compute anywhere in Scripture. I believe that is the sin of Gehazi. When Gehazi was with Elijah, um, um, I'm, I'm sorry, Elisha, when he was with Elisha and he, uh, they baptized um, uh, Naaman in the Jordan, and afterwards Gehazi followed him on the road, and um, because he'd offered money to Elisha, Elisha said no, but then Gehazi was like, well, man, I can get something free here, and so he ran out on the road and stopped him. He says, yeah, we actually we can use, because somebody's showing up, and we, we can use some of that gold and some robes and stuff like that, and um, when he returned to Elisha, he said, wasn't I with you on the road? I saw you. I was there. And um, uh, therefore his sin or his, his disease, the, the leprosy, is going to come on you, Gehazi. And uh, I believe that when people do that in the prophetic, that's exactly what they're doing. Um, you, can't, you can't get paid to give the prophetic. It's not, it's, it's not holy. Um, what is holy, God will do. And, and the reality is, is that God wants to take people into a realm of prophetic um, maturity before the Lord, where you understand God will meet all my needs according to his riches in glory. And um, God, God is the one who sets us apart for what uh, he has called us and and. When he's called us, he will pay for what he's called us to do. My wife and I have learned this over the past about 20 years now. Be 20 years this year, actually began in the fall. But um, I was pastoring a church. I had a salary. Uh, I was actually started a number of churches at that point in time. Um, but uh, I was... We moved to South Carolina, and the Lord said, this one's mine. I'm taking care of it. Uh, no, you can't get a job, even though you have nine kids. You have to learn to trust me. I was like, wow. Um, Lord, this is crazy. So I moved. We moved. He said, buy a house. It was during the period where that you could state your, your, your income. I just used the previous year's income as my stated income. And um, we bought a house. He then said, go buy a car. And we bought a car. Now, hadn't, we had no work. We had no jobs at that point in time that we were doing. I, was, I wasn't moving to, uh, to a ministry where, where there was a, uh, offerings coming in or salaries being, being offered. And the Lord just said, I, I want to teach you. I want you to learn how to walk with me. And so that first year, honestly, it was very difficult we didn't, neither, neither Karen nor I really knew how to do it. Um, but we, we did it. And in about eight months, I remember my, 
coming home from a trip and my wife had redesigned our whole uh, living room kitchen area and she put more furniture and and uh, new uh, new things on the walls and just completely redecorated it and I said wow I said did uh, did some money come in or something? And she says, no. She said, I just had time with Jesus. And um, she says, I was worried about everything, you know. And um, the Lord told me, um, Karen, can you find a better boss than me? And she said, no. He said, well, why do you worry? He said, I, I know how I've created you. I've created you to be creative. Uh, you have children that you want to go into dance and into music and all those, those kinds of things that you do with your children when they're growing up. He said, I want you to do them. And I want you to be creative. And he said, I will take care of it. I will take care of it. That was when we began realizing that the name Jehovah Jireh doesn't mean just the Lord will provide. It means the Lord will see to it. And so we have learned through the years he's always seen to it. We still live on that basis, by the way. Uh, we don't get salaries. We we know Papa God brings in the resources when he needs to bring in the resources. Um, there have been many trips I paid for by myself and have received nothing in those trips because I am not an invited one. I am a sent one. And every single one of those people who carry those gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, uh, teacher, Every single one of them, they are not invited. They are sent. That we are the called out ones, ecclesia. We're the called out ones to be sent. That God can send us, whether the pay is good or bad. That we, we are commissioned by the very presence of God to fulfill what he wants us to fulfill in, in and through our lives. And I personally believe that Paul, by the end of it, by the end of the days, for him, he's sitting in, um, in prison and he's writing to Timothy and he tells Timothy, he says, um, listen, I'm already poured out. I, I poured it all out. I'm not leaving my mantle to anybody else. I've done everything God has called me to do. Um, but you need to fan into flame those things inside of you that were prophesied. That, that you, you've got to carry your own mantle. You've got to walk with your own mantle. I'll, I'll talk about that just for a second. I realize I'm going through a number of different subjects right now. I've got a couple more I'm going to go through as well. But, um, but one of the things that we often uh, think, and we, we chase people. People chase the anointing. Uh, I'm going to talk about revival in, in a few minutes um, and, and what is happening here. But, um, but we chase anointing, uh, or I shouldn't say that. We, we chase those who are anointed. And as a result, we, we make them out to be idols in our lives. We want to be just like this person or just like this person. Would you please lay hands on me so I can get what you've got? And um, the reality is, uh, and I believe in impartation, but the reality is, is that there is something so profound in the call of God on your own life that God wants you to fulfill that call. And um, the only way you receive another mantle, which is actually the reason I'm here in New England, and I'll share the story with you, but it was because somebody did not complete their call. 
they were not finished. Um, and so um, Elijah did not complete his call. There were two kings he had not ordained. And as a result of not ordaining them, the call was still in effect. Um, Elisha knew that. Elisha knew Elijah is escaping here without having to finish what God called him to finish. So he says, I want a double portion of what's on you. What is that? The prophetic mantle. I want the prophetic mantle that God has put on my own life, and I want the prophetic mantle God's put on your life. I want double portion. I want, I want your portion and mine. And I will finish what God called you to finish. I'll finish it for you because it's what my father wants. It's not because, not because I want to do something for you, Elijah, but it's because I have a heart for the father. And so you receive them that way. And um, I remember back in 2012, it was March. So what, what is that? That's um, uh, uh, almost well, 11 years from right, right now. And so what happened, I had this dream. And in the dream, John Paul Jackson was handing me keys. I'm cutting the story way short. And, um, and I knew the Lord was, and the keys he was giving me was to his car. And so I, I, was, I wrestled with that. I was like, Lord, what are you saying? He's saying, will, will you pick up what he never completed in New England? Will you take it? And uh, he'd been sent to New England. He was here in New England for a short time and uh, planted three churches while he was here and um, was greatly used of God in the region. But he was invited somewhere else, I think to Texas. And as a result of that invite and what we, he would have there, he decided to take it and he went. And, um, and one of the remaining calls on his life for here was to father awakening. And so um, he left. And I knew that. And, and the Lord says, will you take that up on yourself, Danny? Will you, will you add this to the anointing I have on your life? I said, yes, Lord, you want it. I'll do that. And so we're coming into a season right now where revival seems to be breaking everywhere, everywhere. Uh, I get reports every day about revival breaking in different countries. Things are happening. Things are happening across the United States. Uh, there was a second film, uh, The Jesus Revolution, um, completely over, there was uh, understatements that were being, uh, understated what they thought it would do. It is so incredibly being used by God. People are getting saved in that. People are coming to the Lord. There are people who are ministering um, uh, to people. People are coming back to the Lord. It's just a very powerful thing. And just this last week, <coughs> excuse me, um, just this past week, we had the, the situation of, of this movie come out in Jesus' name. And some theaters were shut down. Uh, the movies were shut off because there were so many manifestations of demons manifesting as a result of this movie and being delivered, they had to stop the movie. That is unheard of. And uh, we're in a, 
we're in an era where God is, he's, he's busting out. You know, he's moving in the schools. He's moving in the theaters. That's entertainment. Uh, you realize he's about to move in business. You realize he's about to move in, in many realms. And we who know the Lord are the ones who ha- have to help um, foster that and encourage that and say, no, this is exactly what happens. I, I do not believe that we have to necessarily go every day, every night for that to be considered revival. Um, my good friends, Roland and Heidi Baker, um, they've been living in revival for a long time now, well over 20 years. And they'll tell you that. And you'll say, what do you mean by revival? People come to the Lord every day. People get delivered every day. People get healed every day. Demons are cast out every day. The food is multiplied every day, somewhere throughout what they're doing. And, and they've reached literally millions of people that, that have come to the Lord through, through what their ministry has done in Mozambique and now throughout the world. They are absolutely living in revival. And the thing that God is doing in this hour right now is not about just increasing our ability to get together and have nice shows. I have often communicated, very often, um, how in the uh, Western world, you know, us, uh, when we have revival, we get happy. But when the non-Western world, everywhere else, um, has revival, they get harvest. They get people that come into the Lord and, and they, they were, they're brought to the Lord. They're being discipled. They're, they're growing that, that the gifts and the fruit of the spirit are flowing through their lives in power. That to me is what will absolutely change and release what's called awakening. Uh, and I realize some people use them, um, as, as the same word, um, yeah, can't think of the word. But anyways, uh, you understand it um, uh, as a synonym. They are not synonymous. Revival is what happens to believers. And this is our hour right now. It is our hour as believers to be revived. That's why repentance is beginning. In fact, every awakening, every awakening has begun with church people and usually in a church. Uh, everyone. First, first one happened here in Enfield, Connecticut, not far from where we live, um, and it was in a church meeting. Uh, the second would begin with church people at Cane Ridge um, in uh, uh, 1790, and um, it began with um, a, a supposed communion of about 200 people, I believe it was Baptists and Presbyterians, that were going to get together and have communion. Over 20, somewhere between 20 and 40,000 uh, showed up in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, uh, for that. And it went on for days and days, and the Spirit of God moved. That's the revival. But the awakening part is what happens when everything else is released throughout the world. That's what you experienced during the Welsh Revival, where in the Welsh Revival, the, the football teams, the, the games they had, there's one really weird name of one of them, they all stopped. The businesses closed because the presence of God was moving so powerfully. The police wore white gloves because there were no criminals to go get. 
um, they, the prison itself, in fact, this happened also in Argentina, the prisons became prayer halls as prisoners began praying for their nation. Uh, this is powerful, and, and it changes the incredible fiber of a nation. Uh, it's not based upon politics. It's not based upon certain legislation that's being done. It's not based upon judges who've made right decisions. It's based upon the Spirit of God moving throughout the earth. And we are there. I have spoken of this for many years. And, um, and people have wondered, what do you, what do you think is coming? I, I believe the greatest awakening is about to happen. And we are at the cusp of it right now in the early reigns of revival. It's happening with the young. It right now, but I want you to know that that the old are about to get hit, and we're going to pray here. And my prayer is that something begins happening here, actually on this on this feed, as the Spirit of God begins coming on you, and the hunger, the hunger, the hunger, the desperate hunger to be uh, one of God's own, um, uh, and being able to walk on the Isaiah thirty five highway of holiness where nothing that's ungodly will be there, nothing that's unrighteous. We, we, we are seeing things in this hour that have to be, have to be um, uh, stopped, but we cannot stop them in the natural. And, um, I, you know, I'm going to share a couple, a couple stories, dreams, and things that I've had um, I was invited by uh, a woman, her name's Nancy. Um, she lived in Nantucket. And um, when she was in Nantucket, she was just a housewife. That's who she was. And she came to that same conference that um, uh, Terry was at, uh, the President's Conference. And she came, and afterwards she came to me and she said, Danny, would you come to my house? And do a meeting for a few of my friends? I said, sure. And um, I didn't realize what I was saying sure to. I had no idea. But I, I went to that. And in Nantucket, you either have to take a plane or take a boat to get over there. And um, I get to the house, and there are 70 people in the house. And I would say probably 90%, 85 to 90% of them had no relationship with God now or ever, they were unsaved. And I brought a worship leader with me to, uh, to just play guitar and, and lead worship just a little bit. And he did one song and everybody clapped and did another song and everybody clapped. And they were yelling, do another one. And uh, I realized they're not going to understand worship at all. They don't, it's, it's like a show to them. And so I just gave the t time up sign to him and I just said, we're good. Uh, let's just go. And I went to go grab my Bible and, and uh, had a message prepared. And, and, the, and the Lord said, what are you going to do? I said, Lord, um, I said, I'm just going to, that message you gave me, I'm going to speak it. And he says, Danny, they don't even know what a Bible is. Just tell them stories. So I began telling stories of what Jesus has done. You know, the church needs to live in stories like this because these are the stories that are changing 
the present reality. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. That you're going to be my witnesses. That witnesses of what? Witnesses of reading and studying the Bible? Well, there's value, huge value in that. I love the word, cover to cover. But the reality is, is that we have to have our own stories. And so I, I began speaking about a man who um, had, had was in a meeting in, in California, in San Francisco, and, and he came in, he was drunk, he was sitting in front of the drummer, and uh, he was just yelling in the middle of, of, the, of the worship, going, this guy's good, you know, totally drunk, totally drunk. And, uh, and nobody went to go get him. They let him go. I thought, hallelujah, this is the Lord. This is the Lord that's doing this. And so what he did was he, uh, he's doing this. And then the Lord said to me, he says, Danny, I want you to go heal his kidneys and his liver. And uh, I walked up to him. I went behind him. And the Lord says, from the front. If anybody's seen pictures of me, I'm a pretty big man. And... Um, uh, he was a pretty big man. And he said, the Lord says, from the front. I said, Lord, that's going to be really awkward. I said, our bellies are going to touch. And uh, if I'm putting my hands on his kidneys. And um, he said, from the front. So I went up and this guy is, his, he's back trying to back away a little bit with his head. And it, it smells ferocious because of the alcohol. It was all over him. And I prayed and I just said, in Jesus' name, I command these kidneys and this liver to be healed right now. And instantly, he said to me, what happened? And he was sober, completely sober. And he left. And I was very upset that he left. But he came back the next night. And he said, I'm the guy. And I said, yeah, I know. And he was holding his arm. He said, the reason I've been getting drunk, he says, I, I live on the streets. And he said, I, I broke my arm and I can't get it fixed. And uh, he said, do you think God can heal my arm? I said, absolutely. I said, go ahead. You can stretch your arm out. And he said, it'll hurt. And I said, uh, no, it won't. But if it does, you can stop. And he rolled his arm out and he began shouting, Jesus healed my arm. So I shared that story, and I shared the story of a little boy in that same meeting whose parents had brought him to me. He was eight or nine, and he'd been brought to me, and they said, he, he can't speak. I said, oh. I said, can he hear? They said, yes, he can hear. And so I said, stick out your tongue. And he stuck out his tongue, and I put my finger on his tongue, and he kind of recoiled backwards. And then I said, now say the name Jesus. And he said, Jesus, and he began talking. And I shared both of those stories. And, um, and then I'm back in, in Nancy's, sharing those stories at Nancy's. And then the Lord began giving me words. And there was this one couple that were, they were a gay couple. And uh, the Lord says, I want you to prophesy to them. And, you know, I question in my mind, should I? And the Lord said, I have destiny for them. He says, you need to pull them out of where they are into the destiny I have for them. Speak the destiny I have for them. And I did. I gave them prophetic word. They were both weeping. It was very powerful. I gave them individually to each of them. 
And I did to a number of other people, ministered to people prophetically. And then there was a line in front of me. And they were saying, do to me what you did to them. I said, Lord, they're all here, the whole line. And so I began praying for, <coughs> praying for people, and they began falling down. They'd never seen this. Excuse me, I need to get a drink. Um, and uh, they, they're just in this line, and they began falling down, and, and people are swearing, like, what's going on? How's this happening to me? And this one woman comes up, and she's getting ready to get prayer, and then she quickly ducks behind the one behind her, says she can go first. Prayed for her. That woman went down. And then I get to her, and she, she the whole way she's falling down, she's swearing the whole time. And um, the Spirit of God came on her. She laid there for a long time, long time. The next evening, we were out eating in one of the local restaurants, and um, this woman came to find us and literally found us in a restaurant, pulled up a chair from another table, sat it down next to me. She says, I've been doing Reiki my whole life. And she said, I've seen some things, but I've never experienced what you are talking about. She says, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I want him in my life. And she got saved right there at that dinner table. There's so many things that, that God wants to do in our lives when we begin just moving in it. And sometimes it's not in big crowds. Sometimes it's with the ones and twos. Sometimes it's in people's homes. Uh, but God wants to release that through us. Um, I, I, I'll share one more story with you. I remember flying from Charlotte. I was going to um, California to, to San Francisco. And um, on the plane, I was sitting next to a woman um, who the Lord spoke some things to me about. And I said, oh, I said, um, you're, you're going to Hawaii, but you're actually stopping in San Francisco because your friend is in the hospital dying. And she looked at me, she says, how did you know that? I said, Jesus told me. And he, he, he says that if you will walk into that room and put your hand on her, now, this is an unsaved woman at this point. I said, if you will say to her, Jesus Christ heals you, your friend will be healed. And she looked at me. And she says, really? I said, really? And then for the rest of the phone or the, the rest of the flight, she kept saying, I need what's on you. She kept touching my arm, grabbing my arm and said, I, I, I need what's on you. I can see something on you. And by the end of the flight, she knew Jesus. Wow. So, and she went and visited a friend, wrote me when she got to Hawaii, and, she, and then wrote me later, and she said her friend was healed. I was like, of course. God doesn't lie. God doesn't lie. So the reality of not just moving in the prophetic or any of the gifts of the Spirit is that they're gifts. They aren't my gifts. I don't own them. God, we have stepped into a season right now. I'm just going to spend a couple minutes on this. But we have stepped into a season right now that is unbelievable. What began at Asbury uh, uh, Seminary University 
was unheard of. My daughter, um, Rhea, got to be there at the, um, uh, for a couple nights, a couple days. And um, she began communicating to me. She said, Dad, it was so easy. It was, it, it, I didn't realize it was this easy, that we don't have to strive for this. We don't have to force this. And all they were doing, Dad, was just singing worship songs. In fact, two of the worship songs, she said, I don't really want to hear again because we sang them like a hundred times a day. It was everybody who had to sing the worthy song, everybody, every worship team that got up there. <clears throat> and, uh, and so she said, <clears throat> but they just kept worshiping. They just were loving Jesus. That was it. And it was producing in them a hunger. It was producing in them a thirst for God. And it was, it was bringing them to the point of repentance. And, 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 you know, I personally believe that the very presence of God is his kindness. And so if you get close to the kindness of God, he will lead you to repent. He'll lead you to change what you've, uh, what you've done, where you've been. And so that kindness that prevails um, when he is around is amazing. So we worship, we worship more. You know, I'm a part of, um, when the Lord called us to be Mount of Worship, he, he said, it's going to have a lot of worship, lots of worship. And our hour, our hour, hour and a half, two hour worship times are amazing where the spirit of God moves in power. Uh, there is great power. Why? Because we're adoring him and we're not adoring him to get him. We're adoring him because we have him. Uh, we're, we're loving him because he's here. We're, we're loving him because he's worthy of it. We're not, we're not doing something. It's not the, the, the pre, uh, uh, the pre to the good meeting. It's not the early stuff that, well, we, we sing some songs so that we can get to the good stuff. The worship is the good stuff. It is the best stuff. It is when we honor God. It is the highest priority we hold. Why? Because he is worthy of it. For no other reason than he is worthy, not even if we have had something uh, happen to us, whether it be good or bad. Though the fig tree does not blossom, though, the, though there be no grapes on the vine, yet will I exalt in God. I will rejoice in God my Savior. And so we, we don't worship him <clears throat> to try and make things happen. We worship him because he's worthy. Because he's, he's worthy. He's worthy of it all because uh, he didn't have to do anything. He did not have to take on flesh. He didn't have to do it. He's worthy. He's worthy. It's gratefulness. It's thankfulness. It's just the high honoring of God Almighty. And when we do that, wow, he's here. And things will flow out of that. They just will. But it may not be what you think is going to flow out of it. It's going to be what he is flowing out of. We, we've learned that, that we're not here to create a meeting. We're here to facilitate his presence and that whatever he wants is what he's going to do. The Holy Spirit's on some of you even right now. Right now. And he's on you because he's facilitating what's happening. He's saying, Danny, I'm, I, I'm moving on them. Let me move on them. Encourage it. And I, I release right now. I release the fire of God on you. I release the very presence of God in your, in your rooms, in your cars. I release the kindness of God that will lead to repentance. I, re, I release the favor of God, the favor that you know him, him who absolutely 
loves you. Whether you are doing good or not doing good, he loves you the same, the same. He is not conditional in any way, shape, or form. Some of you grown up in conditional atmospheres, conditional religious atmospheres, where, where well, if, if the pastor or the bishop or, or this person says I'm doing good, then you feel good. But if they say I'm doing bad, then I'm doing bad. And you've grown up under a conditional Christianity. And, and today, in Jesus' name, I break the power of that conditional, that the, the, the love of the Father is unconditional for you. He saved you just because he loves you and wants you, that you are desirous to him. And I just release that to you. And I break off all religious and religiosity spirits, those things that that have caused us to believe we must do something to make God do something. I break off that spirit. I break off the spirit of control where people right now, either in your life or through your life, where they've been controlled, they've been manipulated to do certain things that are more righteous or more holy. I break that off in Jesus' name. I release right now Lord, the prophetic mantle, Father, that is all over, all over, Lord, Terry's life. I speak right now, Father, Lord, that there would be a, a serious dialing back to be able to hear the power of the voice of God flowing through him. That those who function prophetically those who function prophetically would know, would know that God, God has called them to speak and speak words to people for them, whether it be one or 10,000. So we release that right now. And so, Lord, I just ask that you just completely nurture and fill every person here and release the presence of God all over their life, all over their families, all over, all over them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the full message from the School of the Holy Spirit. Find us on the Clubhouse audio app. For more information, visit us at schoolofthehollyspirit.club. That's schoolofthehollyspirit.club.